Please be seated. This morning we'll take uh, a brief hiatus from our study of the Gospel of John. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, where we will ultimately consider a single and simple passage. While you're turning, I'll take the opportunity to say thank you all uh, for your generosity. Uh, We um, exceeded our goal of providing the flood buckets for relief to those that were affected by the hurricanes in Texas and in Florida. Uh, We had a goal of 100 uh, of the uh, um, buckets, and we went above that. If I had any math, I would tell you how many above, but we not only met, but we exceeded our goal. And so I do want to thank you. It's one of those things that sometimes you set the goal and we tell you our progress, and then after we reach it, we just don't tell you anything. So uh, we want to make sure that we appropriately say thank you. And as Jack mentioned, I want to thank you also because we are entering a season that is busy but glorious in the sense that we this, this Saturday is the opportunity for, and several of you have already signed up to help participate in building the home through Habitat for Humanity. We are preparing for the homeless shelter. We had a, uh, the uh, shoebox ministry that will uh, impact children overseas. We uh, kicked that off last week, and in the coming weeks, we'll also be hearing about Project Angel Tree, where we are able to minister to the children of prisoners in our own community. So there's a number of things, and yet, what a glorious thing it is. And I, my prayer for our church is that we would be a church that is, uh, is known for our love for our neighbors as much as we are for our love of God's truth, uh, or that our love for God will propel us to be a people for our neighbors. One of the things that, as a staff, we've talked about is our goal is not to be the best church in town. We want to be the best church we can for the town. And because of your generosity and participation in ministering to our neighbors, many of whom will never be able to give anything back to you, uh, we are showing signs God is using us, and we are blessed to be a part of that. Our passage this morning, Proverbs 22, verse 28. Hear the word of God. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. The word of our God. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, as we come to you, we thank you for the opportunity, the privilege to come into your presence. We honor you through lifting our voices up in in praise that you are worthy to receive. Uh, We honor you by recognizing that you are holy and we are not, and therefore confessing uh, our weakness, brokenness, and sin, and resting in the promise of grace that you have provided in Christ Jesus. And we honor you now by lending our ear to your wisdom recorded in your word. and pray that by your spirit you would speak to us today, that your word would not only shape our thoughts and inform us, but you would shape our lives, that you would form us to be more like Christ. Bless us, we pray, as we worship you by listening for the voice of your spirit during this time. We pray all things in Christ and for his sake. Amen. Well, today is Reformation Sunday. If you didn't catch that, it's on the top of your bulletin. It's been mentioned in prayers and uh, and a number of other things. We come remembering this morning that on October 31st, 1517, a young Augustinian monk 
made his way into town uh, to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And when he got there, that he attacked onto the wooden door a series of assertions called theses. Overall, there were 95 of these. And what he was doing was, in one sense, though certainly it was profound in a way that he had no idea, it was not particularly unusual. So what he was doing was the equivalent of our day of somebody writing their opinion on some matters and then posting it somewhere on their social media pages. The intent was to get people talking and by talking to looking at the issues and as they looked at the issues to resolve them, to change the course of action that many were on. His intent was to bring unity and to just kind of rewrite the ship. He certainly was aware that there would be some pushback on this because his theses in many ways were pushing against the perspective and the practices that were prevalent in the church of that day. And just as no one likes to be corrected on a personal level, uh, nobody that is in positions of power whether it's religious or whether it is government or whether it is economic, nobody likes that kind of correction. But he had no idea of the amount of pushback that he would receive. Now, one thing that is, was found is that history shows that he was not alone, was not the only voice. In fact, for generations, there have been a number of people who had been concerned about the status of the church the purity, the direction, and, and the practices. And voices throughout Europe were gathering people together and saying some of this just is not right. It's unhealthy, and in fact, it's not biblical, nor is it honoring to God. The church in the day had become incredibly powerful, both in the lives of the people, but also monetarily. But with that, it also had become tremendously corrupt and was not serving the purpose for which God had raised it up. And so this young monk, obviously I'm talking of Martin Luther, was used, raised up by God, and posting his theses uh, brought about a discussion that brought unity in some factions with people from the different nations coming together and seeing the points that he was making, identifying the issues that needed to be addressed and changed within the church but also he and others, the spark that he had lit, became a fire that burned the bridge between them and the powerful church at that time. Nevertheless, because of what had taken place that day and the significance of it, churches around the world this day and every Sunday prior to October 31st recognize and remember and even celebrate what occurred because of that day. This year in particular, people are celebrating because as of Tuesday, it will be 500 years to the day that Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg. Now, I know most of you already know that, and some of you are probably delighted in the history and the significance. 
But I suspect that some of you also may say at least to yourself, if not out loud, okay, I get it, but what's the big deal? Why do we bring this up week, year after year after year and set a day and recognize it in the church just because it was historical, no matter how significant it was? Some of you may resonate with the words. I, I, I love the honesty of the British scholar Michael Reeves who wrote this. For some, the Protestant Reformation conjures up mental images of dusty old tomes and yawn-a-minute lectures by even dustier old men. And this morning, I can't do anything about being the dusty old man that is speaking to you. I hope to at least limit the number of minutes and yawns that you have within them. But I do think that there is a significance and that the Reformation, as we remember it, does have significance and is worthy of our attention today. And I can give you three simple reasons. The first is this, is that the Reformation still matters because God still matters. Now, in that day, in the days leading up to the Reformation, the Western world was still shaking off the effects of the Dark Ages. The Renaissance had begun, and so there was light that had come into the culture. But in the church, while there had been flickers of light for generations and always had had flickers of light, nevertheless, the church as a whole and the people who were in the church were still shrouded largely in darkness. And because they were living in darkness, they were living without knowledge. Knowledge about God, knowledge about themselves, knowledge about life. And so without knowledge, they responded to instinct and reacted through superstition. They assumed God to be whatever their imaginations said that he was. Mixed together with different truths and slightly non-truths that they would pick up on the streets and therefore had an entirely concocted view of who God is. They had no idea of what their own purpose was in life or how they could relate to God because they were driven by superstition and not by facts as God has revealed themselves to, uh, to, uh, to, to the people. And one of the primary principles that was recovered, not made up, but recovered in the Reformation, was a concept that our lives are created to live to the glory of God. In other words, that God who has designed us and made us after his own image has given us the purpose that we live in a way that brings glory to that creator, the one who is above all. And there is a sense in which to live to the glory of God is to look at our lives and to consider the actions that we engage in, refrain from those things that would be evil, engage in those things that would not only be good but would be beneficial to others, and, and so in a sense that God receives glory through what we do and through our lives. But there's even a more fundamental way in which God is glorified that was absent in that day and that is largely absent or increasingly absent in our day as well. Because in that day when people knew there was a God and would relate to him out of 
ignorance and superstition. They themselves were not able to really delight in God because they didn't know what he was like and didn't know his heart. Fundamentally, the way that we honor God most is by recognizing him for who he is. We don't do things for God for the name of glorifying him as if God had need of our works. But God who has revealed himself when we recognize him for who he is and what he has done for us, for the world, we stand in awe. We recognize our need, but we recognize his love. We recognize his power. We recognize his forgiveness. And we then are able to relate to him. We glorify God, as John Piper said. We glorify God most when we are most satisfied in him. And that only comes when we are aware of who God is. But when we are most satisfied in God, we also then become compelled to live for God. And then we become his vessels to bless others. Through those actions, he also is glorified, not only by us, but by those who are the beneficiaries. And so I think the first simple thing that we need to recognize is that the Reformation still matters is because God still matters. He who had been forgotten and neglected through a long period of ignorance in the church was, in a sense, rediscovered for who he was. And living in a day in which the understanding and the knowledge of God seems to be diminishing even among those who would profess to be his followers, we are still in need of knowing God as he has revealed himself, being awed by God, and then living in satisfaction to him and living for his glory. We have purpose when we have that relationship with God. So second is that the Reformation still matters because truth still matters. Even if I don't necessarily like the truth, the truth is still important. And sometimes knowing the truth is the difference between life and death. Knowing our condition, knowing the potential remedy can be the difference between life and death. And we only know when we know truth. Now, I was reminded as I was thinking of that this week of a time in my own life several years ago when I found that I didn't have my usual energy and that I was finding myself ill far more often than I usually had been. And a good friend who providentially happens to be in the service today, had pointed out that you've been getting sick a lot lately and encouraged me to go see a doctor. So a few weeks later, I got around to it. And I was initially diagnosed with diverticulitis. The doctor had told me what we needed to do and said, you need to go get a colonoscopy and then let's just nip this in the bud. And I was being a typical guy. I had things I needed to do because I was scheduled to go first to Texas and speak and then go to Florida and speak. And then I was going to come back and go to our general assembly uh, and participate. And so I told him, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Uh, well, I could probably make it in about a, about a month. And so I did go to Houston. Carolyn and I went to Houston. We went to Florida and we had come back and we're picking up our kids at my mother's house in Delaware. We were going to drive back to Pittsburgh where we lived at the time. 
And then I was gonna hop on a plane and fly to our General Assembly. But while we were in Delaware, I collapsed from pain. Rushed to the hospital, it was discovered that it wasn't diverticulitis, but in fact that I had cancer. In fact, they said by the size of the tumor that the likelihood is that I had had cancer for eight to 10 years at that point in my life. And that changed a number of things in terms of my perspective. See, the truth of my condition opened me to the reality of my need. And then opening my, understanding my condition opened me to the willingness to endure the remedy that would potentially give me life. And in this case, it was a six-month period of chemotherapy. And I don't know if you have personally experienced it or have close friends that have, almost everybody has somebody in their family that has experienced cancer in one way or another. But chemotherapy, at least as I understand it, is essentially they poison you to death so that you can live. I mean, who would do that unless you knew that it was your only hope? And what is true for us physically is also true for us spiritually. Is we can easily kid ourselves about where we are, much as I was doing about my own physical condition. And we can kick the can down the road and not pay much attention to it, figuring that we always have time to deal with it later. And not considering the potential effects of our spiritual illness can have upon us and upon the people who are around us. We need the truth to be shined so that we can see it and that we'd be willing to embrace it and accept that truth. And the truth of our condition is that Scripture says that we're, we're dead in our sin. And we recognize that if that's our condition, then we have a need of a remedy that we can't possibly manifest ourselves. So we are in need of a, a solution. And that solution is also a truth that must come from outside of ourselves. But in order to have truth, we need to have a source of truth, something that is reliable and something that is authoritative. And for centuries, throughout the Dark Ages, that source was available, and yet it had been ignored, and it had been distorted and corrupted by ignorant clergy, leaving the people to not be aware, to wonder and to fear, and have no real appreciation of their situation or reason to accept the only remedy for the condition of being spiritually dead. But during the Reformation, those who God had raised up recognized another important truth that was recovered in the Reformation, which means that they, they declared this, is that the scripture, the word that was inspired by God and then written by his prophets and his apostles to be given as God's truth to the world was recovered. And God tells us in his word that his word is truth. It is the truth the, of the one who created all things, who designed all things, who's the architect, the engineer, and the maintenance manager of all things. 
that teaches us what we are to believe about God as God reveals himself, what we need to know about ourselves, and what God has done because he loves people to bring a remedy to our condition and to reconcile us to himself and has given us this word and that word became the foundation of our understanding and view of this world. And so the Reformation is still important because God is still important. God still matters. The Reformation still matters because truth still matters and God has given us truth to shape the way we think and therefore direct the way we live. We also need to see this, is that the Reformation still matters is because you matter, because people matter. They matter to God. See, God's truth, his scripture teaches us that God had created all of humanity after his own image, and that is the basis of our value. See, we live in a culture not unlike pretty much every other culture that is not shaped and rooted in in God's truth, that bases the value of any individual primarily in utilitarian terms. What can they give to me or what can they produce for society? And those who can produce most, most, they matter the most. And those who seem to be able to do very little, such as those who are finding themselves homeless for whatever reason, um, they are ignored, despised, and discarded. But the truth of God tells us this. People are precious to God. He made them. He takes delight in them. And he loves them. Even when we rebelled against him. And people who are living in ignorance, as they were in the dark ages, as many continue to be throughout the world and in our culture today, are certainly aware that there is a God, and many aspire to relate to God, whether they know of the one true God or whether they just know there's something beyond themselves. They want and desire that connection. But the desire for connection is the evidence that we recognize that we are somehow disconnected. And the driving question for all people then is, how do we get reconnected? How do we be what we ought to be? And the answer comes through God's truth and was recovered in the time of the Reformation in three related truths. We are restored. We are reconciled. We are made whole by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, these three things together, while they are distinct and important in themselves, they also come together in a package which are the bullet points of the gospel. The good news of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ to reconcile broken, wounded, hurting people who have been alienated from God and sometimes even act as if God is an enemy and bring them into that relationship with him. And the reason we are told over and over again in the scriptures that God has created that access to him through grace by faith which is the means by which we appropriate the grace in Christ which is what our faith is rooted in it's not just believing but believing in what Jesus Christ has done by living dying 
taking on himself the penalty that we all deserve for being at odds with God and with his truth and rising again for our salvation and for our hope. The reason that is done is not because God needs us, but because God loves us. He loves you. You are precious to him. And so the Reformation, which is known often by what are known as those pillars, the glory of God alone, Scripture alone as our authority for what we are to believe about God, about ourselves, our, our, our only authority for faith and for our practices. And then by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, known as the pillars of the Reformation, are not just things that are out of the past, that are nice things to discover because they've been forgotten, but they are very real and very pertinent to our present day and our personal lives. I'm going to wrap up with this. Paul Tripp has written a book that's titled Broken Down House, in which he likens the world in which we live to houses that... Um, once were glorious, but now are in need of serious renovation. And our lives are like that as well. Many of you have probably seen them as you go to the countryside or in almost in any old neighborhood in, in any city. Houses that you can tell that architecturally were glorious and splendid at one time or another. But now it's not only a matter that the paint is chipping off, but the roof is sagging, and you just see that it is in sad condition. This is our world, and in many cases, this is the life of humanity, because God made us glorious. And yet, because of sin and because of the weight of the world, um, many of us are in need of serious renovation. And the work that must be done to bring a house that has gone into such disrepair back to its original splendor is, uh, is amazing. It's costly, it's intense, it's laborious. And yet when it's done, it is glorious. And this is what God does both in his people, individually and his collectively as the church and what he's promised to be doing in this world. Now, I have to confess, I'm not an expert in construction, although I did spend yesterday morning working with Habitat for Humanity, so I'm almost an expert in construction. But, um, but I do know that there are certain truths in architecture and engineering in-house that must be taken into consideration when you're going to bring renovation to a home. I know that some beams and columns are load-bearing, and necessary, and others are there, and they are merely decorative. I know that in the ancient Egypt, uh, you see that architecture where uh, the columns were used, where the load-bearing would be on all of the columns that were there. But if you go through the antebellum south, there were houses that would have columns, but oftentimes the columns were pretty much just decorative. If you remove the columns from the front of the house, you know, the front porch might fall down, but the house itself would remain in its original integrity. But that wasn't true if you were to go to, say, the Parthenon. If you remove one of the pillars that is a load-bearing pillar, then the whole thing is in danger of crumbling down 
and bringing destruction and disaster to anybody who is in, in the building. We need to recognize that the pillars of the Reformation are load-bearing beams and pillars for the way that God not only has constructed his church, but the way that we are to live our lives. And that when one of them or more of them are removed, it is to the detriment and to the peril of those who are within the structure itself. And that leads us to the text that I read at the beginning of this message. A text that was, some of you have wondered about. I had one person, I mistakenly said in the first service that it, I thought it might have been Kathy. I, the person who did say this to me came up and told me, thank you for blaming Kathy. Um, somebody said this week, interesting passage you've chosen this week. And I don't think that what she meant was, wow, I can't wait to dig into that. That is fascinating. I think it was more like, that seems like it's going to be pretty weird. But yet it's pertinent to what we remember in the church today. Through the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Solomon, we are told this, do not move, in some cases remove, the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. And this is a practical wisdom, a principle that God has given to us that we would consider for our lives. Is that throughout history, he has certain events that are the embodiment of certain truths that are necessary for us to understand our lives, the way life is supposed to work, and that God is at work and present with his people and through his church. And the pillars of the Reformation being load-bearing pillars are among those landmarks that should not be removed from the preaching of the church or the faith of the individuals. It provides the structure. It provides what is necessary for us to build lives around them. And the warning here is really just wisdom. Remember what truth God has revealed. Build your life on those truths and remember when God is at work and when he's reminded us of these things. See, the day, whether we celebrate Reformation Day or not, whether we celebrate Martin Luther, who was both a great and a deeply flawed man, is really insignificant as compared to what he and others recovered for us, reminded us of, so that we don't have to discover ourselves. We don't have to do the whole of the renovation on our own. We build upon the work and the wisdom of those who have come before us. And when we see that event and those truths in that light, it does lead us not to elevating men or events, but the God who was at work in that and through that. 
and I hope will lead us to be praying that God would continue to enable us to use what they had recovered, strengthening it in our lives, that he may do another work and maybe even a new reformation in our day to a world that is in deep need of being renovated. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word as simple as it may be of an instruction where it reminds us how we are able to treasure and benefit and even utilize the work that you have done in the past based upon the truth that you have revealed from all eternity. May you root us in those truths and free us by them. We may celebrate you you would receive the glory. Do your name. All praise be to you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through your church, throughout the world. Amen.